that even even as I uh, I prepare to preach this message, I wanna I wanna be as transparent as I possibly can. This 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 sermon changed at least three times. Uh, from from the time I I, I, I knew I was going to do this series, uh, every every single time I, I got into the Bible, every single time I, I started reading a text that I was gonna I thought I was gonna use, this this sermon just continue to change. Uh, I, I knew the text I, I wanted to use. I, I even know the, the, the title that I would give it. But the body, uh, the body of the message, that, that changed at least at least three times. And, and, and that really is because I've, I've, I've struggled this past week. When, when I think about this particular text, uh, when I, when I think about Psalms 127 and verse number one, it, it, it just, it bothered me in a way that I think was both impactful and yet eye-opening. Because when I think about this text, I, I, I think about an author, if tradition is true, and the author is in fact, or was in fact Solomon, here is, the person who was the wisest man to have ever lived, and he is penning some very telling and strong, some strong words, as he says, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor build in vain. Unless Yahweh, the God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer and the protector, the all-sufficient God, unless Yahweh is the one guarding or keeping the city, the watchman, he says, stays awake in vain. And so as I studied that particular text, I've read this text before, but as I took the occasion just one more time to, to go into this text, it, it just troubled me in my soul for, for just a little bit. And so I've entitled this exhortation for today, If God Isn't Everything, It's All for Nothing. If God Isn't Everything, It's All for Nothing. I want to slow down a little bit and I, I'm hoping to keep my, my enthusiasm in check somewhat so that I could articulate as best as I can the severity of the message that I think God has really placed on my heart to speak this morning to those who are here and to those who are listening online. This message, though simple, I believe is extremely important to the child of God or to the believer in Jesus Christ. As we consider the text that was read for us, if I said before, as I said before, if tradition is true concerning not just who wrote it, but when this particular psalm was actually sung, then it really is going to illuminate some things for us and give us some things to, to ponder or to think about. When it comes to when this psalm was probably or traditionally sung, it is it is said that it, is, it was sung at a time when the pilgrims would journey to Jerusalem. And so this particular psalm, Psalm 127, this, this falls within a category of a, a list of psalms beginning from Psalm 120 through Psalm 
134, uh, a list of psalms, a list of songs, uh, a list of prayers that these pilgrims would have begun singing on their way to Jerusalem. They sang these psalms, they sang these songs, they sang these prayers as a medium of preparation for worship. So it tells me that as we think about the possibilities of what tradition tells us, it, it wasn't just enough for these pilgrims to, to make their way to the holy city. It wasn't just enough for them to come and to offer their sacrifices. It wasn't just enough in, in their hearts and their minds for them to come and to give of their means. No, no, no. As they, they recognized the value of what they would do when they needed to be prepared to offer their sacrifices. They needed to be prepared to worship God. And so a devotee had to understand the point of what they were doing. They had to keep in mind the why and by what means they were really and truly blessed. They, as a worshiper, had to be vested and to be an active participant. One had to be a worshiper whose gift that was brought to the altar had to match the heart of the person that was given it. And so they would sing these songs as a means to teach. They would sing these songs as a means of reminding. They would sing these songs as a means of instruction. They would sing these songs as a guide. They would sing these songs as preparation to prepare themselves as they were about to engage in entering this holy city to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so even we today, it, it must be that it can't just be about showing up. Even we today as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, it, it can't be that we are just here to do our duty and our due diligence. It has to be that our gift and it has to be that our worship, it has to be that the things that we are offering as worship and as a sacrifice to the living God, it has to match the heart of the individual worshiper. I think too many times if we're not careful and Will alluded to it somewhat as he was speaking about the Lord's Supper. Sometimes because we, we are accustomed to coming here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. If we are not careful it could become a ritual but for us it ought not to be a ritual. It ought to be something that comes from the heart every single time we are able to gather together to worship. To worship God. So the songs that we sing ought to come from the heart. The prayers that we pray ought to come from the heart. The worship that we offer ought to come from the heart. And not simply as a means of ritualistic duty. And so they would sing these songs in order to teach. They would sing these songs in order to guide. They would sing these songs as a means of preparation but they would sing as they began their pilgrimage if if tradition is right they would begin from psalms chapter 120 and they would begin in that psalm by by singing uh, in in my trouble i cried to the lord and he answered me deliver my soul 
O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue, they would sing a psalm, they would sing this prayer of deliverance. But also they would move on to a next prayer and a next song and, and it would say, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from, from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord. This Lord has made both heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will, will not slumber. He will not sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you all from evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out, and he's going to guard your coming in from time forth and forevermore. This this is a good prayer to pray. I, I can't remember the last time growing up, I remember my, my grandmom, the language was a little bit different when, when they prayed in those days, 20 years ago, they would pray things like, God, touch my son and touch my daughter, touch this person from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet. They would pray a prayer of blessing. God, be with us in our going out and our coming in. We've lost some of that language. And so they would sing these songs that would teach them how to pray. They would pray and they would thank God for his deliverance. They would pray and they would beg for God, to God, for his safety and for his comfort. So they would pray, the Lord is my keeper, Sam. Then they would move on, almost like clockwork, if tradition is true, they would move on to a prayer of peace for Israel. And, and this prayer is found in Psalms 122, verse number one and following. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I know we, 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 we quote that from time to time, right? I was glad, I was glad when they said, come, let's go into the house of the Lord. Notice he said, I wasn't mad. Nor was I even sad. He said, I was glad when they said, come, let's go into the house of the Lord. Then, then they would move on and they would say, "You, to you I lift up my eyes. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens above. So they are saying these prayers and they are singing these songs as a means of Preparation. I hope this is sinking in into your soul. Then they would move on. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, men would have rose up against us. Then they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul, then the raging waters would have swept over us. In other words, if it had not been for God, we would not have been here. I wish I had five people who, who understood and who appreciates the fact that if it had not been for God, you and I would not have been here. There is somebody here that has been in an accident. There is somebody here that almost drowned. There is somebody here that went or, 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 into surgery. There is somebody here who had technical difficulties at birth before they even came into this earth and said, we all need to appreciate. If it had not been for God who was on 
our side, they are singing these songs as a means of preparation. Notice what they would go on to sing, those who trust in the Lord. I'm at Psalm 125, by the way, those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time and forevermore. That's protection. That's safety. That's God's providence. But then they get to a psalm of thanksgiving and we get to 126 verses 1 through 3. I'm not reading all. I'm just giving you some of this. When the Lord brought back the captive ones from Zion. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was, was filled with, with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done a great thing for them. But for us, we say the Lord has done a great thing for us. Therefore, we will be glad. They are singing these songs in preparation for getting to Jerusalem to worship. And that brings us to our text where we are, Psalms 127 and verse number 1, where this psalmist says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, they labor or build in vain. Unless the Lord Yahweh guards the city, the watchmen stay up in vain. And so not only do we recognize the when these songs were sung, but I think it's valuable for us to recognize, if tradition is true, the one who actually wrote the psalm. If tradition is true, then most traditions identify Solomon as being the one who wrote this particular psalm. Now, now watch this. Solomon, we recognize Solomon as the wisest man that has ever walked the face of planet Earth apart from Jesus Christ, of course. But Solomon had a number of different hats or titles that was attached to him while he was on the face of planet Earth. Here, some of the titles that was attached to Solomon. He was the temple builder. Solomon would be the one God would bless to erect the temple structure that his father David envisioned for God. David may have envisioned it, but God is the one who sanctioned and blessed it. Don't miss this. Because in as much as sometimes we envision things, it has to be that in order for it to be blessed, God has to sanction it. And so David had in mind to erect a temple. He looked at where he was as king. He looked at his status. He looked at what he was blessed with. He looked at where he lived. And when he contrasts where he dwelled and, and where God dwelt in a tent, he said, this is not good enough. And so I'm going to erect a structure for God, something that reflects the great God of heaven. But there was a problem. David had blood on his hands. 
And so God said, David, I, I, I've, 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 I've heard your prayer. I know your heart. I, I'll bless this vision that you have, but you won't be the one to build it. It's going to be your son, Solomon. So in Solomon's tenure as, as king, God will allow some Solomon the task of building the temple or the house of God. Not only was Solomon the temple builder, but he was the city protector. As king, he was not only given the task of governing the people of God, but protecting the kingdom from invasion, both foreign and domestic. So Solomon understood all too well that his role and function as king also meant that he was the protector of the city of God. But not only was Solomon a temple builder, not only was Solomon a city protector or watchman, but he was also the head of his household. And perhaps maybe as, as this particular title unfolds, perhaps maybe this is really the heart or the crux that he had in mind when he was writing this particular psalm. Undoubtedly, he was a king and that had a lot of responsibility that went along with it. Undoubtedly, he was a temple builder and that had a lot of responsibility that went about, about with it. Undoubtedly, he was the watchman or the protector of the city. And you know how weighing that might have been on him. But apart from all of those titles, the one title that I believe that Solomon comes to recognize was of the utmost value was that he was the head of his household. You and I might hold many hats and have many titles in this life, but perhaps the greatest title that we hold is within the family that God has allowed us to have. If you are a husband here, you might be a manager in a bank, but that pales in comparison to the fact that you are the head of your home. If you are a wife, if you are a spouse and you're the principal or the CEO of an institution, you are really important where you are. Things can't be done as, effect, as effectively and as efficiently if, if you aren't there, but that pales in comparison to the role and the function that you have as the, the, the wife of this man and the co-partner in this relationship as a mother and as a caregiver. So as we think about some of the roles and, 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 and the functions that even Solomon would have performed in his life, perhaps as he looks back at his life, he is calling into view and calling into question even the ways that he himself would have conducted his very own affairs. Watch this. As we look at this particular psalm, Solomon makes a very glaring statement in verse number one of Psalm 127. He says, unless it is Yahweh that's really doing the building, then the persons who are laboring at the erection of the building, their labor is for nothing. Watch this. This word house, that Solomon uses here within the confines of Psalms 127 and verse number 1. It, it has different connotations and it, it has different usages. 
Use number one, you would often find them using this term for the place of worship or the temple. It was also called, the temple was also called the house of God. So Solomon is recognizing that the person who is really in charge, he might be king and he might have a certain level of control and a certain level of power and a certain level of responsibility. And, and, and while, yes, he has a lot to do, unless it's really God's plan that is being worked after and worked at, then the labor that anybody is doing is going to come to naught. So he recognizes as the person who is a builder, who was tasked with building the temple, unless the temple was really built by the specifications of God, unless God was the driving force behind the temple, then truly even the temple, the house of God, would not have been satisfactory. You guys with me? If we were to equate that with the church today, I want us to recognize that we are in the church building business. Not in terms of the edifice or, or, or the edifice of, 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 of a structure, but, but really what I'm speaking about is, is, is bringing souls to Christ, bringing people to God. But yet still, if, if what Solomon says is true, that unless God is the driving force, unless God is the real architect, unless God is the one who's really giving instructions, in other words, if we who are the builders aren't doing it according to the specifications of God, then the very things that we might be building that we deem to be successful, it is only, it's only going to be for naught. So he says, unless the Lord Yahweh builds the house, all this labor that is being done is only going to be done in vain. I recall Jesus when he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he got to chapter number seven and he said, really and truly, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but they who do the will of my Father, they shall enter into that rest. And so I need for us to appreciate that a lot of times we find ourselves doing things, we find ourselves coming up with initiatives, but if those initiatives aren't acceptable in the sight of God, then truly at the end of the day, our labor is going to be in vain. How much more now if we recognize that fact? How much more now are we supposed to be taking our time to ensure that the things that we are doing is actually a reflection of the will and the plan of Almighty God? Too many times if we're not careful we could find ourselves coming up with plans and initiatives and, and, and doing a lot, of, a lot of work that God himself is not intended for us to really do. But not only does this word reflect this, this idea of a physical structure, but this word house was also used to speak about the family. So if I were to use this word as a reflection of my family, I would say the house of Patterson or Patterson's household. So Solomon, not only is he writing this, I believe, from the standpoint of a, a temple builder, but he's also writing this psalm from the understanding of the head of the house. If God isn't the one who is actually building your home and my home, if God is, is actually the one that's not building this family, then believe you me, this family will come to nothing. If God isn't the one who, whose hand is strong in everything that we do, then all the labor that we are doing to, to, to have this family is in vain. 
So we have a lot of families that are broken. We have a lot of families that are on the ropes. We have a lot of families who have gone their separate ways. And if we are honest with ourselves, the reason why those things happen is because the real builder was not God. We've been trying to do it on our own. Would anybody here that's married be, be honest enough to say that every single time we had a major argument or fight in the marriage, it was because one of us was trying to have our own way? My, my, my wife isn't here, so I can talk boldly. You know, she, she's always trying to have her own way. But every time we, we have those, those issues, it's because somebody is trying to have their own way and we're, we're not really at that point on the same page. We're just not seeing things eye to eye. Could, 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 I, could, I, could, I, be, could I be open and honest? We're talking about family, we're talking about church, could I be a little bit honest? You, you, you wanna know why it is we, we, we really haven't had, and I'm not just talking about Antioch, by the way, I'm talking about the church worldwide. You wanna know the real reason why we haven't really had integration? But why we're so comfortable having black church and white church and Hispanic church and, and we make all kinds of types of excuses to say, well, it's all about the culture, so some people need to feel more comfortable in their culture. You want to know the real reason why it is we, we, we haven't really understood this need to be diverse and, and to push diversity more than what we prefer? You really want to know why? It's because we, we have groups of individuals and pockets of individuals who just won't see eye to eye. So I like to sing my songs. And unless you like to sing my songs, you won't attempt to sing my songs. And you might even find some of my songs contemptible. I preach the way I preach because I believe this is how God has blessed me to preach. But some people have a preference of what preaching even should look and sound like. And so I'm just saying, because we don't see eye to eye, it creates a division and divisiveness in the home. So now we've become so accustomed to hearing people say, well, you just need to be comfortable with your people. Who is your people? We have a bunch of, don't get me wrong, let me make this disclaimer. If the congregation is in our area that's predominantly whatever the, the congregation is, then that's one thing. So I'm saying, if, if the congregation is in a place that's predominantly black, then by all means, the congregation is supposed to be predominantly black. You guys can shake your head. I'm saying black. All right? You can shake your head. You, you don't need to say amen for people to hear you online. But you can shake your head, and I'll let people online know that this congregation is, 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 is shaking their heads to say, yes, we agree with what we're going to say. All right? If a church exists in an area that is predominantly Hispanic, then God knows the congregation is supposed to look like the area in which it resides. On the flip side as well to that, in addition to that, if a congregation is in an area that's predominantly white, then you expect the congregation to look predominantly white. But how is it that in an area that's mixed, how is it in places like Dallas and, and Antioch and, and other places that are so mixed and diverse, how is it we still have congregations who want to be predominantly black, who want to be predominantly white, and who would prefer to be predominantly Hispanic, Asian, or whatever, whatever tribe they come from? How is it? It's because, JP, if you're still with me, 
We're not seeing eye to eye. We're trying to build and erect this house the way that we want to erect it. Now notice I said, I'm, I'm not coming down on Antioch. I'm just trying to preach across the board. And so he says, except it's the Lord building. You might be getting a lot of baptisms. Hundreds of people coming to Christ in, in your setting and in your place. And I'm not saying that these people aren't saved. I'm not saying that these people aren't genuine. But what you are promoting is a mentality that's going to be spurred on for generations and generations and generations to come. Do you not notice that when Paul and others were writing in the New Testament, they were writing to churches who were mixed, both Jew and Gentile. When Paul writes probably his best, his best writing today as we consider to be the book of Romans, when Paul writes to the brethren in Rome, there is a mixture of those who are Jews and those who are Gentiles. And Paul doesn't say, well, listen, in order for you to guys, in order for you guys to be really successful in this Christian thing, then here is what? Here is the best solution. You Jews, you go here and establish a church. You Gentiles, you go there and establish a church. Because you Gentiles do things a certain way. And you Jews do things a certain way. So therefore, the best thing to do in order for us to really serve God wholeheartedly without any type of friction is for you to maintain your own space with your own people group. Watch this. Because Paul understood, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, because he understood the task was put on him as a wise master builder, the only real way to build church is by having all of the people that God intended to be a part of the body in the same place. So you won't as a Jew fully appreciate a Gentile until you've learned to love by living with a Gentile. <laughs> you, won't, uh, you, you won't allow yourself to understand their cries and their pleas. You won't allow yourself to open up yourself wholeheartedly and 100% to them until you've spent time with them. Until you've sat with these husbands and cried with them as they, they tell you their struggles. Until you sit with these wives and, and they pour their hearts to you and you pour out your hearts to them. On, until you spend time praying over these sons and these daughters who are not yours physically, but they should be yours spiritually. Unless we find ourselves really mixing in together, then, then guess what? We'll always want to do our own thing. So Solomon is giving us a glimpse into church building. And he wants us to understand that it's not about what we think it should look like. Feelings could get you in trouble. Anyway, I wish I had five people. Feelings could get you in trouble. Because you feel that the person that's in front of you is the one that you need to spend the rest of your life with. Because your heart fluttered. But it wasn't love, it was infatuation. And I wish I had some people who are honest enough to say amen. It wasn't love. It was infatuation. But now you've experienced what real love is. You went through some poor experiences because that's what you chose. You chose over what you knew. What you knew, if you had acted on what you knew, you would not have gone through the headache and the heartache that you did as a teenager in your early 20s or 30s. But you wanted to 
go with the emotion and not the knowledge. So Solomon wants us to catch a glimpse. If we really want to do church right, we have to do it the way God intended. Well, William, William, I'm hearing you. <laughs> so not only is he talking about what's the temple, but he's also talking about family. But thirdly, I need to bring this back close. Not only is this word in reference to an edifice, not only is this word house in reference to the family, but this word also has implication for the individual as well. The very first thing that God gives to us as a gift is our bodies. Hear me and hear me well. I need to slow down for this because I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I'm saying. The way that we treat our bodies, not just the things that we do with our bodies. I think sometimes we, we look at, well, we need to keep our bodies from sin, and that's true. But it's, it's really three and fourfold when you think about it. It's not just the things that we do with our bodies reflect our devotion and our belief and our connection to God. That is to say, if I believe in God and I'm submissive to God, there are things that I will not engage in with this physical body. Do, do I need to make that a little bit more plain? If I'm unmarried, Landon, and I know that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then I will abstain from things like fornication. You with me now? I'll abstain from things like drunkenness. Because what I do with my body or don't do with my body is a reflection of my relationship and my devotion to my God. You guys with me now? But not only am I saying the things that we stay away from or the things that we do is a reflection of the relationship that we have with God. But notice, it's not just what I do or what I don't do, but how I treat my body. The things that I put in to my body. The things that I don't do to my body. We have a lot of health gurus making millions off of Christians who ought to know better. And it's because we're, we're not doing in our bodies what we plan to do with our bodies. If we know something isn't good for us, health-wise, it's in our best interest to abstain from it. I didn't think I was going to get much amen to this one. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Dr. Pepper, it mightn't be giving you the type of health benefit that you really think it gives. 
the grease that we love to eat, it does a whole lot more damage in the long run than the sustenance it offers in the short run. And I hear you, I hear you. That cake. That, that, that cake that we love to eat, those sweets that we love to eat, if we're not careful, it becomes a detriment more than a delight. You, you, you guys, I'm, I'm slowing down so we can get this. I'm done, by the way. I'm done. <laughs> you, you guys get this? When Solomon said, except the Lord is the one that's building the house, he doesn't only have in mind the temple that is the house of God. That's important. He doesn't only have in mind the family. And you know how his family went. But he also has in mind this temple that was given to him. This temple that is given to us. So if we have to think about this holistically speaking, and I hope we do, I pray we do. This is 2021. I'm hoping we can start setting some re resolutions, Lord willing, for God, if, if we are to see 2022. But 2022 ought to find a church, God ought to find a church that, that's willing to do things in a way that he is well pleased with. With the mentality that he is well pleased with. With the enthusiasm that he is well pleased with. You guys with me? In 2020, God is supposed to, to find a family that that is a little bit more closer to being what he intended when he designed the family. But also in 2022, Lord willing, he's supposed to find some people who say, you know what, maybe I haven't been taking care of this temple that God has given me and I need to take better care of this temple. Some of us, can I be, can I be, can I be, don't, don't get mad at me, right? Let's stand, let's stand. Don't get mad at me. Some of us may, may need to go on a diet. Amen, walls. <laughs> Some of us may need to change our diet. Some of us may need to spend 20, 25 minutes going on a walk or a jog or doing something actively so that we can at least help to stretch our lives out a little bit more and be a little bit healthier. So, and I didn't come here to hear about health, health stuff today. That's, that's part of the temple that God has given us. So just realize, if God isn't in everything, you guys see this? If God isn't at the center of the church, if God isn't at the center of the household, if God isn't at the center of our very being, then everything that we might be doing might ultimately be for nothing. If we want a healthier church, if we want a healthier family, and by God, if we want a healthier lifestyle, let God be the one that drives the building.
Let's all stand. Let's all stand. I'm done. If you have a prayer request, I want to encourage you. And I want to encourage you to think about the message this morning. I, I, I really want to encourage you to think about the message. Think about the categories I just shared. Think about church life and, and think about your family life. Think about your personal life and the things that you do with your body and the things that you put in your body. I really want you to, to be conscious of the message this morning. And if you find yourself in any one of those areas, lacking in some way and maybe you've been struggling in some way and I just want you to come forward and, and let's be able to pray for those things. Let's be able to pray for those things in an open, honest and a sincere way. If you have your family and your family has been struggling, don't just come home by yourself. Take your spouse or, or your family by the hand and the entire family just walks down. We, we have some elders yet in front. You just make your way down and we'll pray for you. And here's what I want to encourage change. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be emotional. We, we, we live in a time and a space where everybody, everybody outside of church wants to, to be expressive and the church finds itself limited in the way that we express ourselves. You can see it. You can see it. You know, if you feel like you need to cry, you walk down these aisles and you cry. If you feel like you need to scream, anybody know what I'm talking about? Put your head into the pillow and you just scream. If you feel like you need to scream, then you bow yourself down and you scream. If you don't want to walk down and you feel like there's somebody next to you, you just touch them on the shoulder or hold their hand and you just utter to them what you would have them to pray for or you just tell them, please, could you pray for me? And we will pray right here in the aisles or down to the front. But don't let the devil hold you back. Don't let people hold you back. Don't let anyone hold you back from coming to God in an open and a sincere way. Will you sing with me as together we sing our song?